believe this was mine from this morning and this is mine from this evening. <laughs> well, praise the Lord for each one of you that came back tonight. It's a blessing just to be here in church. <clears throat> Great music this morning and just uh, wonderful to be in God's house. Number of folks still dealing with this COVID, but I believe come February we'll be done with it. Hopefully, it'll just kind of pass its way through. And with herd immunity, we'll be moving into 22 uh, with, a, with a much healthier attitude and healthier bodies. So we're praying to that end. And so continue to ask the Lord to, to hedge up our people and keep them in good health. Uh, Heather and the whole family there has been sick and I texted her this morning. I kind of thought maybe they might be here, but they're just at the tail end of it. Uh, but they were at home, and she said, but we were there watching you live stream, enjoyed the message. So at least praise the Lord that our people have the opportunity uh, to uh, be connected with us through live stream. And, uh, and our people have been so faithful. You have been so faithful even when you're sick and not able to be here, to make sure that those tithes and offerings continue to come in. And that's such a blessing. Our missionaries count on our support. And, uh, and I count on uh, getting that salary that the church gives me. And they, they count on us paying our rent and, and all the utilities. And so it's a blessing to know that those things are being done and we're not lagging behind or anything like that. That's always a blessing. There was a time in the history of our church where they were like three months behind in their rent. And that really gets to be a problem when you're paying $1,800 a month and then you owe three months' rent. So praise the Lord that that's never, that has not been a problem by the grace of God since I have been here. But uh, we know that it was in the past. Well, anyway, that is all because of your faithfulness. We're looking forward to a great February. You're going to hear some really outstanding preaching. Brother Dave McCracken is a nationally known evangelist, and we're so honored to have him. He's a dear friend of mine. We had him several times when I pastored in the state of Washington. Um, and he's a, a different type of a preacher. Uh, you'll not be born... You just kind of wondering, well, what's he going to do next? When he was younger, he would jump like 40 feet in the air. <laughs> but he's kind of slowed down a little bit now. And so, but uh, we have him, and then uh, we have a good lineup of those coming in March as well. I want to speak to you about uh, <clears throat> the charge that uh, we have from the Word of God to be a man. And I was hoping that we might have some more families here tonight. We do have a few uh, families coming into our church and with their children. Uh, it is so important in this day and time that we have men that will stand up and be men. Thank the Lord for our women. We have so many of our ladies that are single parent ladies and grandmothers that are not only single parent uh, mothers, but now uh, taking care of uh, their grandchildren grandchildren living with them and they providing for them we're living in a different day and a different time when when I was much younger as a pastor uh, 
what we might consider to be the traditional family was more the normal type of situation. But now we've moved away to where the traditional family is way down there in about the 30% uh, uh, category, and the nuclear family now is becoming the majority. And uh, <clears throat> we're almost at the place where the attitude is that uh, <clears throat> a traditional family is somewhat of a, a disdain to our new culture and our new society because it represents an old culture that uh, they want to eradicate uh, because it stands for morality, it stands for righteousness, it stands for a, a monogamous heterosexual uh, lifelong relationship of a husband and a wife raising up children. And... Uh, <clears throat> That just kind of goes against the grain of what uh, uh, what is being taught today. And they want to cancel that out. But according to the word of God, uh, this is what God had in mind and what God wants to see. But we're living in a day and time where Satan has attacked our nation in every way. And if you destroy the home, you destroy the nation. And that's what he's aiming at. So now we have here in David, David was certainly not a very good example of what you might call a godly father, but he still was a man that God loved. Uh, he was a man after God's heart, and he was a man for which the Lord had blessed. And now he's ready to pass from this world, his body's going to go to the earth for which it was created from, and his soul is going to go into the presence of the Lord. And now he, on his deathbed, is talking with his son Solomon. And we see this story in 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. We read, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. Now, to show yourself a man, he went on to say, by keeping charge of the Lord thy God, or to keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Not only to keep the charge of the Lord thy God, but to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies, to keep them, as you can see here, as it is written in the law, in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and uh, whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, Now, Underscore this, if thy children take heed to their way, not only if they take heed to their way, but if they walk before me in truth. But notice he says, not only are they to walk before me in truth, but they're to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. There shall not fail thee, he said, a man on the throne of Israel. 
Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will bless our time together. Amen. So here we have King David on his deathbed, and he's certainly not afraid of dying. He's met with the Lord. He knows that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God has given him that kind of confidence. He is assured of when this moment comes that he goes through that door of death, that the Lord is with him, for it was David that wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he knew that God would carry him through that door, that God would be with him, and that he would go into the presence of the Lord. And so he could say with the Apostle Paul, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul, remember over in the book of Philippians, he was writing about his desire to go home and to be with the Lord, which is far better. But he says, right now it's needful for me uh, to hang around that I may continue to give out the gospel, that I may continue uh, to be a witness, that I may continue uh, to do what I can to disciple you. And so the Apostle Paul was willing to hang around until God was ready to take him. And so he was not afraid of death. We understand that when we die, our bodies die, but we do not die. <laughs> uh, death is not what some people think it is. I remember years ago, I was at the hospital, and uh, I was waiting to visit one of our members, and the family was waiting uh, we were there for several hours while this one particular member was in surgery. We had been praying uh, that the surgery would go well. And the doctor came out with some really bad news. He said that the person that we were waiting to see after the surgery had void. <laughs> That's the first time I ever heard that expression. He has void. Void, what does that mean? Void means that he's gone. Life is ended. There is no life. It's been voided out. His soul, his body is now voided out. There's no life. Uh, he's come to his end. But the word of God makes it very clear. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after death, the judgment. The apostle Paul made it very clear that after death, we will all stand before the Lord, and we will give an account of those things that we've done, whether they be good or bad. Not only will we give an account for those things that we have done as far as our attitude and our spirit, but we'll also have to give an account for what we've done with our bodies and how we've served our Lord. And so whether you are saved or lost, you are going to meet God. It is appointed unto everyone to stand before God. And if you don't know him, it would be a time of terror. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. But if we know the Lord, it can be a pleasant thing when he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. As we understand from 2 Timothy chapter 4, death of the body is the passing of the opportunity uh, to continue on with the course that God has given to you. We all have a course that God has given to us, gifts that he has provided for us to run that course. And when death comes, uh, we are now at the end of that course. I would like to think that when death comes knocking at my door, that the course that God had given me to run, that course was finished. I would not want to go before God knowing that uh, I never finished that course. Somehow I dropped out along the way. By failure to obey God, to live my life for God, I did not run well. My hands hung down, I became weary, and I dropped out of the way. You know, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 talks about how important it is that we stay on course with God, that we do not drop to the wayside. How sad it would think, or how sad would it be to think of someone that never even ran the course that God had a course for you to run and you never entered into uh, the track and ran that course for the Lord. That uh, you refuse to run the race. You refuse to put on the uniform that God has for his soldiers, the helmet of assurance, the sword of the word of God, the breastplate of righteousness the feet that are to be shod with the shield that uh, we are to go out in preparation of giving out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How sad to think that you had never entered the course. But the Apostle Paul made it very clear that he had confidence in knowing that not only did he run the course that God gave to him, but he finished the course. For he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. As sons and heirs of heaven, we must always understand that death is a necessary stage that we have to go through to get to the ultimate end that God wants to bring us to. And that is to bring us into a glorified state to where we can enter into his presence because we cannot enter into his presence with these carnal bodies. As clean as we try to make them, as righteous as we do our best to purify our life through these old bodies, at best they always remain vile. And the Bible makes it very clear that in order for us to enter into his presence, these vile bodies have to be changed into glorified bodies that are fashioned like unto the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so there is a process that God would have us to go through. And as uh, we run our course, it will determine the amount of grace and glory uh, that will be put upon our new bodies that we will carry with us for the rest of eternity. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 44, our bodies are sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. As you read the rest of that passage of scripture there, he talks about how the spiritual body will be raised up in a glorified way. And that there will be some whose bodies will have greater glory than others because of their faithfulness to the Lord. And so it's important that we run the race. And it's important that we teach our children to run the race. And so David is now preparing uh, to leave this old world. His body is going to go back to the earth for which it was created from. And he's going to go into the presence of the Lord. And so he's talking with his son Solomon. And uh, there are several general areas of concern uh, that he wants to point out to his son Solomon. First of all, we see in verse number 2, before David leaves, he encourages Solomon to leave a good legacy by being a man of God. To be a man of God means that there are certain things that we must be willing to do. Again, we notice in verse number two, he says, I go the way of all the earth. In other words, all of us one day are going to leave these bodies and our bodies are going to go back to the dust for which it was created from. And so... <clears throat> We want to influence our children and our children's children if we are men of God to be a man of God. And so David is telling his son Solomon, show thyself a man. In other words, he, instru he is instructing Solomon to be a man after God's heart. David was a man after God's heart. David made some mistakes David had failed at times but David kept getting up and David was faithful to stand up as a man the devil will knock us down from time to time but get up it's important that we be men how sad it is to think that we have so few in our churches today that stand as real men uh, our churches today Bless the Lord and thank him for the faithfulness of women. But we need more men. We need men that will be men of God. We need men that will boldly stand for the Lord. Men that will be faithful to the Lord. Men that will be faithful to their wives and faithful to support their children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 13, the Apostle Paul said something similar to what David is saying. He writes and he says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, 
quit you like men, be strong. I remember years ago going to a seminar and, and uh, spending an entire day on this one passage of scripture. It was one of those Bill Gother seminars. There were several pastors there. And he talked about how important it is that we always be on guard. Watch you. Be alert. He talked about how that there are things out there that we should never accept. If we in any way accept any part of it, eventually we will embrace it. And he made it very clear that we can't accept the philosophy out there concerning marriage. That if it doesn't work out, uh, then uh, move on. Uh, no, you don't accept that. You don't accept the idea of a divorce. Uh, you entered into a covenant, and the devil is going to do everything he can to get you to break that covenant. You made a promise before God and before the people as you stood in a church wedding, and you promised before God and those witnesses that you would enter into an unconditional covenant. And he outlined uh, the importance of that covenant, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. And <clears throat> yet there is no conviction about what we promised the Lord. We need to make sure that we are on guard, that we would never allow anything to cause us uh, to break our word. Once the word is broken, then you are broken. Because you're no better than what your word is. Sometimes we must keep our word even to our own hurt. In fact, the Lord made promise in the Psalms, that God will honor them who to their own hurt will keep their word. And yet today, <clears throat> we make every excuse possible for not keeping our word. Always be on guard. You see, if, if he can destroy a marriage, then he's destroyed the home. And children are then tossed back and forth between mom and dad. And it does something to their little psyches. And um, they start taking advantage of the situation. And what mom and dad ended up doing, the children continue on. Whatsoever man, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. You know, the scourge of divorce in the 1940s was an alarming high of 4%. Four out of every 100 marriages was ending in divorce. People like John R. Rice was talking about what a horrible statistic that was. Now we have 60% of marriages ending in divorce. Now we have marriages that are not really marriages. Uh, it's an assault to God and to the morality and righteousness of God's word. And it all happened because Satan attacked the home and he was able to destroy the home. The traditional family is no longer 
the majority of what represents our country. Now we have what is called the nuclear home. How sad to think that we have gone that far. Stand fast in the faith. We understand the thing that's going to solidify the home and glue the marriage together is our faith in the word of God. The Bible makes it very clear that a husband and wife are to cleave to one another. The Bible says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. That cleavage is in reference to uh, the idea and the understanding of uh, something that is glued together. You take plywood, you've heard me say this before, and you try to separate those plies, and that's impossible. You can rip and tear it apart, but you cannot separate it. When a marriage has been put together by God, that cleavage that God has put within that marriage, when it is separated, it is separated by ripping and tearing. And it brings all kinds of hurt to the people involved that goes on for a lifetime. My wife and I can certainly tell you that we've experienced that uh, in the life of our family. And uh, the hurt and the emotional disturbance and the problems that we see as a result of it just continue on. We know that uh, things could have been much better if, if God's word would have been honored. But as a result of that, we see our grandchildren dealing with all kinds of emotional and psychological problems with anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide. So that's the direction that we see our society going in. And when we stand fast in the faith, when we are willing to have some convictions, conviction is where we stand upon the word of God with the kind of attitude that this is something I'm willing to die for. You see, there was a time I had family that was trying to encourage my wife to leave me. But even in a backslidden condition, I was willing to fight for my marriage. I was willing to fight for my family. I was willing to even die for my family. Quit you like men. Now, there's a difference between conviction and preference. When you have a preference, your marriage is nothing more than a preference, then it'll end in divorce. When we get to that place to where we hold to the principles of God's word with conviction, then we're willing to die for those convictions. See, I have the conviction in believing that the word of God is truth. That is infallible. That is providentially preserved. That is inspired of God. And what God says about the home, what God says about the marriage, what God says about the family... These are enduring truths that go on for generations that bring blessings to the home, prosperity to the family. And when those principles are violated, 
when we just simply throw them out the window to the whim of our own lust and our own satisfaction, it only brings sorrow and disappointment and heartache into our lives, into the lives of those that we brought into this world, but it also tears down the structure of our society. And you can see what's going on in America as well as the rest of the world. But when we have the attitude, when we're willing to say, well, I'm going to be a man, quit you like men. In other words, stand firm on the convictions. Uh, it's a conviction of my mind that church is important. Amen. I believe Jesus Christ died for the church. I believe the church is the pillar to ground of the truth. I believe that God would have us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some ends. I believe it's through the church that God has set forth his ordinance. I believe it's through the church that God has put forth a program to evangelize and send missions, missionaries around the world. And I'm willing, I'm, I'm willing to live for the church. If need be, I'll die for the church. The church is important in my life. If I was planning on moving somewhere, if God was moving in my heart to go somewhere without and not plant another church, I would want to be sure that there's a church there that meets my convictions. A church that stands on the word of God. A church that believes the and, and stands on those principles that I stand upon because church is important. Amen. And down through the church age, the devil has tried everything that he could to stamp out the church. He says, be strong. When we're strong, we persevere. When we're strong, we carry on. When we're strong in conviction, when we're strong in faith, when we're strong in determination, when we got the attitude of a Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Train up the children in the way they should go, and when, they'll, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. I, I realize that all of us go through times of disappointments, and we see that even our Heavenly Father had a son that he created from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life that brought disappointment to him. But God continued to work with him. We find that all through the word of God. But Christianity, as we understand, has not been destroyed. Because there have been men and women that have stood upon the principles of God's word. There have been times of discouragement, times of failure, but they got up. A just man will fall seven times and rise again. God is very careful to reach down and to pull us up. The arm of the Lord reaches down and pulls you up even from the deepest sins when we trust in the Lord. I think of David, King David. I mean, you can't fall any deeper than he had fallen to where you commit adultery to where you try to hide your sin where you're responsible for the death of one of your brave soldiers you try your best to cover it all up and yet God saw the whole thing and yet out of God's grace he lifted him up 
the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. By the grace of God, we get back up and we go again. My wife can tell you that there was a good man one time that had fallen, and by the grace of God, God lifted him up. And there were others that thought, well, no one could ever pull him out of his addiction and out of his drugs and out of his behavior and out of his attitude. Divorce him. Leave him. He's no good. But somehow she believed that God would answer that prayer every Wednesday night. Would you pray that God would lift up my husband? And he did. Praise the Lord that she didn't run from her responsibility. So we are to be a man, a man of God that has a desire to leave a godly heritage. To be strong is to understand that we want to do everything that we can to preserve the path of righteousness. And then we see, be a man by guarding God's principles. Notice in verse number 3, we read, walk in his ways, keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. How important it is <clears throat> that we live by having a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. King David had that relationship. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you honestly say that you have a relationship with God? That that relationship with God is so great that not only do you know him, but you know that he knows you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. How exciting it is to know that God knows you. To know that he knows you, to know that he speaks with you, to know that he gives you peace, to know that he convicts you when you do wrong, to know that he is there listening to your prayers, to know that your prayers are being answered, to know that every day that you're having a relationship with God. David knew that he had a relationship with the Lord. And David knew that when he had damaged that relationship and he hungered to have that relationship back. So he wrote, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. He was sensitive to that relationship. He was concerned when the joy was gone. And so it's important that, that we be sensitive to having a right relationship with the Lord. And David wrote in the Psalms, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. 
When you have a relationship with God and you decide to go off into a different direction that's not right and God is just, I mean, coming at you like a ton of bricks and putting this heavy conviction upon you, don't go there. And suddenly you deter and get back on that path and suddenly there's that joy and that peace and you know that you're back on that path of righteousness. You know that God is leading you. You know that God is leading you when you feel peace and joy in the direction that you're going. There were several <clears throat> years that I was backslidden, at least three years, when I say several. Several is usually more than two. And so <clears throat> the whole time that I was out of the will of God, I was miserable. I felt like that the times that I had lost my salvation. But when I came to that place to where I begged God to restore to me the joy of his salvation and uphold me with his free spirit, and then joy came flooding into my heart. And God had washed and cleansed me of my sins to the point to where I could sense that I was now clean. Not only that, but I could sense that I was totally delivered from the addiction and from the things that were pulling me away from the Lord. And God immediately began to lead me in the right path. He spoke to my heart about the importance of, of being the leader in my home. And immediately I made the decision that uh, I was going to be faithful to all the services and before we sat down and did anything at the table, we would have at least a few moments of a devotion where we opened the bread of life, and I would read a verse of scripture. And as a family, we would pray and ask the blessing on the food as we sat around the table. I had the conviction that we as a family need to get together, and several times a week, we would gather around. Stephen was just a little boy, about three years old. Pamela was a little girl about seven years old. And Carol at that time, I believe, well, not quite at that time, but later she was with child with Matthew. And we would get to on our knees and we would pray as a family. We would do that several times a week. When Matthew was here, uh, when he was a little boy, we'd get together and we'd call on him to pray. And I remember he was struggling when he was in second grade. He was struggling with his reading and I said, well, we'll fix that. And so when we had our devotions, it would take Matthew about 15 minutes to read one verse of Scripture. And after a few months, the teacher, when I met with them at a teacher's meeting, I said, I don't know what you did with your son, but he is a great reader now. He learned how to read from the Word of God. But we spent time together in the Bible. It's so important that we understand as leaders to be a man of God is to guard those things that are important, to live according to the principles that will build a family. I think of uh, a man by the name of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 19, Abraham is the great example the Bible says in verse number 19 of Genesis 18, For I know him, 
that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. You see, Abraham had a relationship with God. Therefore, God had a relationship with Abraham. Abraham set the example by living the example. And by living the example, he could teach others, his children and his family, to follow him as he followed the Lord. How important that is. How wonderful it is as we grow older in life and we can look back and we can see that our life has count for something. We can look at our family and we can see that we have children that serve the Lord. We have children that love the Lord. We have grandchildren that respect their grandparents, that honor their grandparents, and they are now living for the Lord. We can see that godly heritage. We can see that our lives have counted for something. We have young grandchildren that want to serve God in full-time ministry that feel the anointing of God's calling in their life that have a conviction and have maturity that's far greater than what we see out there among the average young people. And we understand that that's because not of us but because of God's principles that we instilled in them and us living those principles and being that kind of example. How important it is that we determine that we want to be that kind of a man. Let me just say in closing, we see in verse number 3 through verse number 4 of 1 Kings chapter 2. If we're going to be a man, we need to understand that that kind of a man is a man that can bring blessings on those that follow after us. Notice what is said here in verse number 3, the, half, the latter half of that verse. Thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their ways, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul. There, there shall not fail thee a man on the throne of Israel. Well, the same goes for you serving the Lord. There will not fail you a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter that will be faithful to serve the Lord. My wife and I know of several pastors and their families that have all their children involved in ministry and now their grandchildren involved in ministry. And we want to see the same. And we understand the only way that we can see that is by us living the right kind of example. And by being a man of God, it brings blessings into our home and those blessings are carried on into the life of our children and into the life of our grandchildren. And it becomes a wonderful testimony because our works do follow us. 
whether they be good or bad, your works will follow you. When we stand strong, we have the kind of convictions that believe and trust in God for the principles that will bring his blessings into the life of those that live by them, then we get to enjoy watching those blessings. We need those today that will determine that I want to be that kind of a man, a man that will stand firmly upon God's word, a man whose life will influence the lives of others with every head bowed. pastor of Bible Baptist Church there in Puyallup, of Washington, Brother Marvin McKenzie. I remember years ago he came to me, he was pastoring in a little old town there in Oregon. And he'd been there for about 12 years and he said, Brother Nolan, you have any advice for me? I'm going through a time of discouragement right now with this work in, in the ministry. Well, what word of advice do you have for me? And I said, Brother Marvin, the only word of advice that I have for you is stand firm, be a man of God, and stay faithful to what God has called you to do. Just about every time that uh, he introduced me to speak, he tells that story. He says, and I'm not trying to be braggadocious, Brother McKenzie is a godly man and done a wonderful work there at Bible Baptist Church. He said it was almost like the Lord was speaking through Brother Nolan when he said, just be faithful. And God honors faithfulness. See, the just shall live by his faith. Are you faithful to God's word? Are you faithful to those principles? It may take some time, but in time, you'll see that God honors faithfulness. And he'll bless you for that faithfulness. No greater joy to know that our children walk in truth. I'm standing here now as an old man. In my mind's eye, I feel like I'm probably about in my 40s, but my body tells me I'm in my 90s. But I'm telling you that God honors faithfulness. Be faithful, men, to be a man of God. I wonder with heads bowed, before we go to the Lord in a word of prayer, is anyone out there would say, Preacher, pray for me that I will be That as a man, I will be faithful to my Lord. Anyone like that tonight? Just lift up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Let's stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. And our heart certainly aches as we think about uh, this day and time that we live in. It is so troubling to see what is going on in, in our society.
see where our country is headed. To see such rebellion among our youth today. And yet we understand that much of this blame that uh, has resulted in what we see today falls upon the church for their unfaithfulness. Lord, help us as individuals to be faithful. That our lives would make a difference. Lord, we know that there's a lot of darkness out there, but we know that it only takes just a small little candle to light up that darkness. I pray that these men that raised their hand would be that candle and that that light would continue to burn, and as it burns, it would burn brighter, that the lives of our children and our children's children would be ignited by that light and that you would bring about a burning light that would so charge the darkness that we would see revival once again in our land. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people say it. Amen. All right. Well, thank you. You're dismissed.